once again, good morning, everybody. Um, this month has been kind of an interesting month. They have had these Revelation Today seminars. I'm curious, how many of you are familiar or have heard about the Revelation Today seminars? All right, there are a number of you. So there are five different sites um, that are going on right now, and I think there have been around 1,600 people throughout Melbourne who have visited um, these seminars that are running throughout Melbourne. And um, this week, uh, the people attending those, attending those meetings were invited to come to a Seventh-day Adventist church. And uh, we pastors were asked to share a specific topic on health, which is this. And as you can see, it's all nice and themed. Ah, Revelation today. Um, I don't know if we have anyone from the meetings here today, but I'm going to share anyway. <laughs> um, so there's a group called It Is Written, and uh, they kind of specialize in these meetings where they share about different topics about Adventism. And so... Today, I'm going to be talking about the health. Uh, I'm, going to talk, I'm going to be talking about what the Bible says about health. And I'm going to be sharing some principles that are found in Scripture. Thank you, Caroline. That's very nice of you. And um, these health principles um, are something that's quite valued by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And a lot of these principles are found in Scripture, and some of them are not necessarily... Um, there aren't specific Bible verses that say do this, but uh, I think there are very good principles that kind of promote those um, health ideals. And so what I don't want you to do from this meeting is uh, feel judged by these standards. Um, I think the reality is that these are an ideal that give us an opportunity at a high quality of life. Um, but the reality is that very few people are able to live out every single one of these principles in every aspect of their life. So I don't want you to feel judged, but the reality is that, um, yeah, there, there, is this, there is an optimum health that we can experience. I want to share that with you. And what I hope will happen is that you'll be impressed that the Bible has these health principles and that you'll be impressed that the Seventh-day Adventist Church really values these things. And I hope that you can apply these into your life as well. So I'm going to be sharing... Um, a few Bible verses here. And so if you've got your white Bibles, we're going to be flicking through different passages together. And I've got a lot of these verses on the screen. <clears throat> so the first point that I want to make is that God cares about your health. God cares about your health. Let's see if I can get this thing to work here. Okay, so when Jesus was here on earth, he shared truth that gave people spiritual freedom, but he also physically healed people to give them a high quality of life. If you think about the different miracles of Jesus, he would restore the sight to the blind, he would make the lame walk, he healed the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Throughout, throughout the Bible, there are other Bible writers who also... Um, Oh, that's not good. Okay. There are other Bible writers who also value health as well. So Paul, for example, in 3 John um, verse 2, he writes, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. And I think oftentimes in Christianity, we place value on the spiritual while overlooking the physical. But in the Bible, it's filled with these health-related advice that leads to a higher quality of physical well-being. 
And so what I want to do is kind of go through the journey of the Jews with you or the Hebrews. And they were considered God's people. And he had specific guidelines for his people. And the first thing that uh, I'm going to highlight is God's emphasis on personal hygiene. And so um, what's interesting here is that in the Bible, God gave Israel exhaustive cleansing rituals because they lived in a very unhygienic environment. In other words, if you step into a house, you wash your hands. Before you eat, you wash your hands. After you touch anything that is dead, wash your hands. In the 14th century, the Black Plague decimated populations all across Europe. And it's, what's interesting about this is that it didn't affect the Jews as much why. It didn't affect the Jews as much. Here's why. Because they washed themselves better than everyone else. And what's interesting is that a lot of people thought that Jews were actually poisoning different sources of water, specific wells. And so certain communities would get the plague and the Jewish communities would not get the plague. And so later on, they were actually quite uh, persecuted because of this. People were really unhappy about this. But the reality was that they just they were practicing hygiene. Another interesting tidbit, God gave them guidelines for circumcision. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, he gave this uh, command, every male child among you shall be circumcised. And this is even practiced today. Now, what's interesting is that um, I realize in Australia, there's a very different approach to male circumcision because it's seen as kind of like, well, children don't have a, a choice. And so it isn't a commonly practiced thing here in this country. But the American, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics published um, a technical report in August 27 of 2012 in regards to the benefits of male circumcision. And here's what the technical report stated. Um, specific benefits for male circumcision were identified for the prevention of urinary tract infections, the acquisition of H uh, HIV, transmission of some sexually transmitted infections, and penile cancer. And um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting that modern science is actually approaching these old school ideals and even outdated ideals, and they're still seen as beneficial today. God also gave the Israelites guidelines for food. There is a quite, there's a quite exhaustive uh, set of rules for their dietary um, for their dietary for the diet. <laughs> and so I'm going to go through a few of these with you in Leviticus chapter 11. And I'll invite you later on after this talk is over. If you're curious, you can just read through Leviticus chapter 11. I'm just going to highlight a few verses for you here. So Leviticus 11 verse three says among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud that you may eat. And so there were specific guidelines around what land animals were considered clean. And so those rules consisted of a split hoof and chewing the cud. And chewing the cud is kind of, uh, there are certain animals that um, have several stomachs. And so what happens is they'll eat uh, grass or hay or whatever it may be. They'll digest it. And then one stomach chamber will regurgitate. They'll chew it again and it'll go into another chamber and they'll go through that process several times. And that's what it means to chew the cud. And so... Here are some animals that are considered unclean. Um, oh, here, sorry, it goes to the unclean. Nevertheless, those you shall not eat among those that chew the cud are those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And it goes on to list different animals. So camels are considered unclean. Rabbits are considered unclean. 
and then um, pigs are considered unclean. And here it highlights in verse 7, And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. And it's interesting. They've actually um, kind of taken portions of uh, pork from animals, and uh, they find that uh, pork has four times the amount of trachina larva uh, in the meat than any other meat. And so um, it isn't. it's kind of interesting that, once again, you've got this ancient counsel about diet and uh, modern science kind of affirms the fact that, hey, there's uh, some logic and reason to that. So verses 9 to 11, these you may eat of all that are in the water, whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers that you may eat. And so here there's some dietary regulations around the sea animals. But all in the seas or in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, all that move in the water or any living thing which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. And so um, anytime uh, there's seafood, um, basically if it's got fins and scales, in the Bible it's considered clean. Next we talk about the uh, animals that are in the air. So in verse 13, it says, And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, and it lists a few more out there. Chicken is considered clean. I've been asked several times after talks like this, what do you think about duck? I personally think duck is clean. Um, if you're curious, you can ask me later. I've got an article that you might find interesting, but anyway. So those are the different categories of animals, the land animals, the sea animals, and then uh, the animals that are in the sky. And what I find interesting is that if you read through uh, the Bible from the beginning of the Old Testament, you'll find that God gave his people different diets at different times. And here's what I mean by that. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, and this is right at the beginning of creation, it says, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. And so basically, Adam and Eve ate fruit, and that was their diet. Uh, they didn't eat meat. They didn't eat vegetables. It was just fruit. Um, total side note, I was talking to somebody about this verse, and um, they really enjoyed cannabis, and they pointed me to this verse and said, see, look, God gave every herb bearing seed. And I thought about it for a while and I was like, yeah, I guess I've never heard that before. And then I responded to him and I told him, yeah, but it says for food. Like what, what nutritional value does uh, cannabis have? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, anyway. <laughs> so in Genesis chapter one, God gave Adam and Eve fruit. Now, if you move to the flood, um, in Genesis, right before the flood, God gives Noah a new set of dietary regulations. And in verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 2, um, here's the instruction that God gives Noah. He says, You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and female. Now, it's kind of interesting. When you think of the story of the flood or Noah's Ark, we always see the animals going in two by two, right? And even the little children's songs, um, the songs go two by two, two by two. Anyway, you may not know that song. <laughs> um, but here in the text, it says, actually, the, some animals went in seven by seven, and they were considered clean. And the question is, why would the animals go in seven by seven? And the reality was, 
Noah and his family were in the ark for a really long time. And so God says, well, you've got to eat something. And so here he changes the diet. Um, and so in Genesis, you see this progression change several times over. So when we get to the Israelites, here God has these specific guidelines for health to his people. And in Genesis 15, there's this really interesting verse here. It says, uh, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought uh, on the Egyptians, for I the Lord am the one who heals you. And so God kind of compares Israel or contrasts them to the people that they or to the land that they are in. And he says, look at the surrounding nation, look at the Egyptians, and look at the diseases that are on them. If you follow my dietary regulations or my health regulations, you will not have to suffer those same diseases. Now, what's interesting is that forensic scientists have actually opened Egyptian mummies just to kind of find out what did the ancient Egyptians suffer from? What did they die from? And what's interesting is that they suffered from modern lifestyle diseases, heart disease, cancer, vascular disease, hepatitis. And so here's the question. What about today? What, um, how are we to live in terms of reading scripture and understanding these guidelines and these principles? And I believe that these rules are still applicable to us today. What I want to do is bring out a text in Revelation. And what I want you to do is notice the eschatological emphasis on this text. The eschatological emphasis. And what I mean by eschatological is just the end time implication of this verse. And so here's what it says. For God, uh, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And so here in this text in Revelation, um, John is kind of writing to this, uh, uh, this end time people. And he's saying, at the end of time, this time of judgment, fear God and give glory to him. And the question is, what does it mean to give God glory? And so here in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10, verse 31, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so here in this text, the Bible says we can glorify God by the things that we do, the way, they, the way that we act, in the way that we eat, in the way that we drink. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so here, the Bible kind of encourages us to think of our bodies as a dwelling place of God. And so just as there were these uh, cleansing guidelines where if Israel practiced them, they were considered clean. And so here in, this, in the New Testament, it says glorify God because God desires to dwell in a place um, that is fit for him. Now, oftentimes people bring up Peter's vision, and in the New Testament, when you read through the book of Acts, you'll find that in Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, you'll find here Peter has this vision, and I want to read through it with you. Acts chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 9, and we're just going to read through a portion of scripture together. 
So Acts chapter 10, starting verse 9, this is page 884 for those of you who have the white World Changer Bibles. Acts chapter 10 and starting in verse 9. And what we're going to see here is that Peter is about to go into this vision. And so we pick up the verse and it says, The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Okay. So, picture this. Peter's hungry. He has a vision. This sheet falls down out of heaven, and there's all sorts of animals, and as you can imagine what Peter saw. And this voice from heaven says, Peter, I want you to eat these animals. And this vision repeats three times. The sheet gets pulled up, dropped down, pulled up, dropped down. Now, Peter is a faithful Jew, and here he has never in his life eaten anything that is unclean. And so when he is commanded by God, go eat this unclean food, you would think that he would say, okay, like I'm going to follow God because my uh, allegiance to God is more important than my connection to my own uh, tradition and upbringing. And so oftentimes people read this story and they kind of say, oh, well, here's an example of God saying, go eat the unclean food. Now, what I find interesting is that after the command comes from heaven, Peter doesn't know what the vision means. You would think that if it were clear and God said, okay, you can eat these things now, he would have said, right oh, like put a shrimp on the barbie, right? Like he's like, let's let's do this. And man, I feel so American when I did that. <laughs> um, so you would think that Peter would just go do it, but the reality is after this is done, he He's, he's kind of thinking, this vision must mean something else. Okay, so we jump down to verse 28. If you look in verse 28, Peter has this interaction with these three individuals. He follows them to Cornelius' house. And as he comes to Cornelius' house, here's what Peter says to these individuals. He says, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So notice here, as Peter is following these three men, he realizes, hey, that sheet of unclean food came down three times. And he sees this connection between the vision of the sheet and these Gentile men. And he realizes God isn't saying 
don't call the food unclean. He's saying, don't call people unclean. And God is trying to break this barrier of racism that is kind of steeped inside of his people. And he's saying, you need to go beyond your nation. You need to share with people who are outside of your own borders. And God knows his people struggle with this, and hence the vision. Notice if we go down to verse 34 and 35, Peter continues on, and he says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And hence the conclusion of this, the meaning of this vision and the interpretation of this story. So the Seventh-day Adventist Church has taken these guidelines of health and they've put together uh, uh, another set of guidelines. And one of the founders of this church was named Ellen White. And she was a prolific writer and a feature of her initial writings were on the topic of health. She placed a relationship between the physical welfare of people and the spiritual health of people. She taught that there's a link between poor nutrition and disease and promoted a lacto-oval diet. When Ellen White was going through and kind of bringing about this health reform in the church and in in her community, um, she really promoted this idea of temperance as a lifestyle. And she used used some scripture as well. Here's some of the Bible verses that um, she used. She says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have Uh, whom you have from God, and you are not of your own. We've read this before. Acts chapter 24, verse 24 and 25. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. So notice here, Paul has this chance to witness to this uh, witness to royalty, and as he shares about the truth of the gospel, he mentions this idea of temperance and the judgment to come. And once again, this is kind of a flashback to what we read in Revelation. There's this idea of healthful living and healthful living in a specific context of time. And what we're seeing in Scripture is that God has a health ideal for His people, whether it's fruit in the beginning or meat for Noah and his family, or in the end times, this ideal of living a temperate life. Here's another verse. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. So notice here, even in Galatians 5, Paul states, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are filled with all these positive attributes, but here also comes this attribute of temperance. Here's the definition of temperance that Ellen White used. She stated that temperance is to abstain from that which is harmful, and that which is healthy do in moderation. So one more time. Her definition of temperance was to abstain from that which is harmful, and that which is healthy to do in moderation. And basically this, this idea is what the health, uh, these, our Adventist church's health principles are based off of. So she widely wrote about abstaining from things like smoking, drinking uh, caffeine, and alcohol. Now imagine a lady in the 19th century telling people that tobacco, 
coffee or caffeine and alcohol was harmful to the body. You know, it's taken around 150 years for science to acknowledge the harmful effects of nicotine, caffeine, and alcohol. And the reality is um, people still – it's still hard to kind of accept and say, I know this is bad for me, even today. Now, if you search for the leading causes of death in the world, the number one reason for death in the world, do you guys know? Doctors are not allowed to respond. Sorry? Okay. Um, okay, I shouldn't have asked that question. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the leading, the number one reason for death in the world is heart disease, is cardiovascular disease. And what's interesting is if you just follow the principles that are in scripture and also like uh, in terms of what Ellen White was writing, those things are hugely affected. Like when people drink, smoke, um, drink caffeine, it affects your heart. Interestingly, in Australia, the number four reason for death is lung cancer. So modern Adventism has taken the principles of Ellen White and built a lifestyle model around her teachings. The church promotes this acronym called New Start. New Start stands for nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, air, rest, and trust in God. And um, I realized trust in God is more than just tea, but I think they're just kind of putting the spiritual element in there. But Adventism kind of highlights this acronym and um, and and has tried to. Um, promote the importance of 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 health uh, of a healthy lifestyle now what i find really compelling is that the national geographic highlighted five areas in the world where people live over 100 years old and they loaded they located different uh, like a fishing village in in japan they uh, located another mountain village in Italy, and there were three other places. And one of the places that were highlighted was a place called Loma Linda, California. And the reason why Loma Linda, California, is important or or interesting is that it is the highest. It has the highest concentration of Seventh Day Adventists in one community. And it's really interesting because a reporter went to see the mayor of Loma Linda and asked the mayor, "Why are people living so long in your city?" And the mayor didn't really know the answer. And as a person kept poking around, they realized, hey, there are a bunch of people who are dying over a hundred, uh, living to be over a hundred years old, and they're all affiliated with the Seventh Day Adventist Church. And so that reporter started going and interviewing different churches and different pastors and different individuals, and realized, you know, it's because these people are following these principles, the principles of New Start, that they're living so long. And so, in a complete secular, atheistic. Um, journal, you've got this record of this religious group of people who are living this healthy lifestyle. Now, what I find even more interesting is that Forbes magazine recently did an article on the uh, on some of the world's uh, longest living people and how they spend their money. And so Forbes, article, uh, Forbes magazine actually went and interviewed different um, people who live in Loma Linda and asked them, hey, how do you spend your money? Because the most valuable thing in life is time. Right? It's your life. So how are you spending your money? And I just think it's very interesting that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is getting rec- recognition from these secular um, um, journals asking questions about what is it that you guys do? And the reality is that Scripture has these principles that promote 
uh, that promote health. And so as you consider these things, um, I encourage you to think about it, to pray about it, and ask yourself, well, what can I do to be more healthy? And once again, this isn't designed to condemn you or to show you how unhealthy you are, but rather just to say, hey, here's what can help you live a more um, uh, a higher quality of life. And I hope, I hope as you consider these things that, uh, that you're blessed by them as you live them out.